The British people needed hope during the darkest days of World War II. A sign that originated in Belgium early in 1941 became a symbol of hope of the British people. It was first used by British Prime Minister Winston Churchill in July of 1941. And that sign inspired hope. It represented defiance, liberation, and victory. The sign was the V sign, V for victory. We need hope during the dark days of this global epidemic and pandemic. Many are sick and many have died. Most of us are concerned and anxious about contracting the virus. We are facing a future that today seems very uncertain. The social distancing we practice is very difficult and it's created a sense of alienation and being disconnected. The economy has shut down, jobs have been lost, our financial resources have suffered. Every facet of our lives is different. Shopping, school, work, family, and even life together as a church family. Nothing seems to be the same. We long for hopeful signs that this pandemic is coming to an end. We long for hope of victory. A graph has been shown in just about every report that has been televised by healthcare professionals. And the graph has two curves. One curve is a very steep curve reaching a peak, and it represents the projected acceleration of a virus where there is no mitigation or intervention. And then there's the other curve. It's a flattened curve that represents the projected slowing of a virus's spread through mitigation efforts like social distancing. And the value of this is, is that fewer people become infected and our healthcare system is not overwhelmed with people becoming sick in such a short time frame. Every time I hear about that curve possibly beginning to flatten, I well up with hope that this pandemic will soon come to an end. That flattened curve in our day is a sign of hope of victory. But we have a greater hope of victory. We have a greater sign that victory has indeed been achieved. This victory is Christ's victory, and the sign is the empty tomb. His victory is ours. We already have it. And today we gather to celebrate the victory that we enjoy already in Christ Jesus. Christ's victory is reflected beautifully in a passage of Scripture that is called a hymn of Christ, Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. You'll find this passage printed in your order of worship on page 6. Before I read it, let us pray. Oh God, our Father, we are a people who 
hope. And Father, I pray today that you might encourage us to place our trust and faith in you, to root our hope in the victory that Christ has achieved. Oh, Father, today, remind us of the joy and the blessing of living in the victory of Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, oversee, rule over, and overrule the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart. May all that is said from this pulpit this morning be pleasing in your sight and helpful for your people. And we pray and ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, God's word for God's people, Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of of God the Father. The word of the Lord is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. It revives the soul. It is perfect. And may it revive our souls this morning with an ever-growing hope and trust in Jesus, our victor. Today we'll be looking at this passage of Scripture in Philippians, focused on the exaltation of Christ with the resurrection being the, the first stage of that exalted state of Jesus, but we'll also mention two other aspects of Christ's exaltation, his ascension as well as his enthronement at the right hand of the Father. One of the beautiful realities of the resurrection is that Jesus conquered sin, Satan, and death. The tomb is empty, he is risen, and we say hallelujah. But the sign of his victory, the empty tomb, is also a sign for another aspect of the resurrection, that his bodily resurrection guarantees our own in the final day. And I want to focus on that on this Easter Sunday morning. The Easter story of Christ's resurrection is the beginning of his state of exaltation that we just read about in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Our Lord's exaltation, however, must be understood and can only really be understood in light of his state of humiliation that we also read in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, fully God, did not divest himself of his divine nature, but set aside his divine right for a period of time for the purpose of voluntarily condescending 
to enter human history by taking on, adding to his divine nature, his person, a full and complete human nature. This is the Christmas story of incarnation. But Jesus' humiliation did not just stop there. It proceeded further downward to an ultimate valley, to an infinite depth of humiliation. For he came to take a human nature in order to die on a cross and his body then taken down and buried in a tomb. This is the Good Friday story of Jesus submitting to death, Jesus submitting to his body being buried, all for one purpose, to redeem sinners like you and me to God. Defeat, not victory, is a logical conclusion at this point in Philippians chapter 2. Of course, he wasn't defeated. Our Lord did not come down from the cross, though he could. He was on a mission to save sinners, and his love for sinners, and his obedience to the Father held him there on the cross. His love for sinners and his obedience to the Father It's why he suffered such humiliation. According to the Gospels, Jesus was crucified on preparation day. That is the Friday before the Sabbath day. He hung on the cross from the third hour, which is roughly three in the morning or nine in the morning, all the way until three in the afternoon, the ninth hour. That ninth hour being the time when the evening sacrifices were made at the temple. His body was was hastily buried in a tomb by Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. And this had to be hastily because he had to be buried, taken down and buried before sundown, which is the time the Sabbath would start. And then throughout that Sabbath day, our Lord's body rested in the grave on that second day. But thanks be to God, that death and the grave could not hold power over Jesus. Early on that third day, that first day of the week, that first Easter morning Sunday, according to Matthew's gospel, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, they went to the tomb, and as Kevin read earlier, the angel pronounced this glorious news, do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. Hallelujah. The bodily resurrection of Christ is the essential doctrine of the Christian faith. It is the hinge of all other doctrines, but the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is also the basis for our future bodily resurrection in the final day. The Apostle Paul shows this in 
1 Corinthians chapter 15. You may want to turn your Bibles to that chapter. 1 Corinthians 15. Here Paul addresses confusion in the church about the future bodily resurrection of believers in the final day. He begins in verses 3 through 8 of 1 Corinthians 15 to set forth the historical reliability of Christ's bodily resurrection. Then he moves to an argument that he makes to those who deny the bodily resurrection of believers, and he argues that Christ's resurrection ensures the future bodily resurrection of believers. We find this in passages like verses 12 through 14. The Apostle Paul said, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. The bodily resurrection of Christ is the hinge, the central doctrine of Christianity. If he was not bodily raised, then faith is in vain. And Paul continued by teaching the resurrected body will be raised, a spiritual body that is imperishable, that is, will no longer be capable of experiencing corruption. We read about this in verses 35 through 50. He further taught about believers who would be alive at Christ's second coming, that their bodies will be miraculously transformed into the same spiritual body that is incorruptible, verses 51 through 53. And then Paul brings his 15th chapter to this glorious conclusion in verses 54 through 57, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have victory in Jesus I stood before an empty tomb. Back in the 90s, Ray and I had the privilege of traveling to Israel. And on our stay in Jerusalem, we visited the garden tomb, a beautiful place. No one really knows where Jesus was buried. And there are several possible locations. And this is one of those traditional locations of Jesus' burial site. But this garden tomb area had a first century tomb in it. It was excavated and proven to be a tomb that represented the type of tomb Jesus might have been buried in by Joseph of Arimathea. And I stood before that now empty tomb that is a display, and my thoughts went to that first Easter morning when the women came to the tomb and they found that it was empty. 
And thinking about that moment, that first recognition and that first experience of seeing that empty tomb, the empty tomb then became a sign of Jesus' victory over sin and Satan and death. And the empty tomb has been a sign of Jesus' victory since that moment and through the rest of history. He is not here, for he is risen in victory, the sign of the empty tomb. The empty tomb is not only a sign for Jesus' bodily resurrection, but also for that of believers. As I stood there looking at that empty tomb back in the 1990s, not only did I think about the first experience the women had with hearing those precious words, He is not here, for He is risen, but I also thought about my own death. I thought about the fact that one day I will be buried, and I thought about the fact that one day my grave will be as empty as that tomb, for I too will be raised bodily, because Jesus won that victory for me and for you to spend eternity with him. A passage of scripture, in fact, the very words of Jesus himself in John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, so beautifully reflect the hope that we have in the resurrection. Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? The resurrection demands a response to that question. Do you believe this? The resurrected Christ is further exalted as we see in Philippians chapter 2 in the ascension. Verse 9, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus... 40 days after the first Easter Sunday morning as recorded in Luke chapter 24 and Acts chapter 1. Jesus ascended to heaven. He returned to his rightful place. He voluntarily agreed to leave heaven and condescend into the state of humiliation. And the ascension is Jesus returning to his rightful place in heaven. He does so to continue ministering to us as our great high priest. He did so in order that he might send the Holy Spirit to apply his saving work to the church and to empower believers to live as Christ's disciples. And there's one more reason the ascension is so important. The ascension means Jesus' mission was accomplished. Mission accomplished. In Philippians 2.9, the name Jesus was specifically mentioned to emphasize Jesus, the one who died on that cross and the one whose body was buried in that tomb 
is the one who was gloriously exalted in the resurrection and has now ascended back to his rightful place in heaven. Having completed everything necessary for the salvation of sinners. Mission accomplished. The ascension puts an exclamation point on Jesus' work of atonement. Done. Complete. And this complete victory in redeeming sinners to God, that was his mission. And the ascension validates, confirms, declares he completed it. And because of that, today we're able to live with assurance in the victory that Jesus won for us. I love the way Peter puts it in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Peter speaks of believers being living in a living hope. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrection, the ascension, all of that works to give us hope, a hope and a victory that we already have, a victory that is a living hope even today. And the resurrected and ascended Christ is further exalted in His enthronement. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 10, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Christ was exalted back to his rightful place in heaven, back to the throne at the right hand of the Father, to take again his place of supreme authority. He is Lord of lords. He is King of kings. He is the supreme ruler over all. And the text tells us that because Jesus is victorious and exalted, that he has taken his place again on the throne that is rightfully his. One day every knee will bow before him and every tongue confess that he is king. Paul is not teaching universalism here, but he's teaching two truths. And the first truth is this. All who trust Jesus in this life bow the knee to him and confess him as Lord. Why do we do that? Because as king, he has subdued our hard, sinful, dead, spiritually dead hearts. He has subdued us, he has conquered us, and he has set up his reign in our hearts. That is why now, because of his work in us, his sovereign work of grace in us, his work of giving us new spiritual life. It is because of that that our greatest desire is to fully surrender to His rule. So we live 
bowing our knees and confessing Him as Lord. But the second lesson here is that for those who reject Jesus in this life, who refuse to acknowledge Him as Lord, who refuse to bow down to King Jesus, they will, on that final day of judgment, when He returns to consummate all things, not only will the bodies of believers be raised from the grave, but the bodies of the unbeliever, all will undergo the general resurrection. Where the believer stands in judgment in Christ, we will be judged on the merits of Christ and therefore ushered in to heaven, being judged because of Christ's righteousness right before the law. Because Christ took our judgment, none will be left for us. But even those who have rejected him in this life will bow the knee to King Jesus and will confess him as the Lord to whom they never surrendered. And the scriptures tell us that those who have rejected Jesus will suffer eternal damnation. Jesus comes to consummate all things in that final day and to judge, and he does so with glory and majesty as King Jesus. An understandable question to ask in the light of this pandemic that has gripped not just our city and state and country, but the entire world is this. Why? Why so much suffering? Why so many deaths? And I stand here today saying I have no answer that will satisfy the why question. But the Bible does give us two responses that should satisfy our minds and our hearts The first response was mentioned by Derek last week on Palm Sunday. Jesus reigns. He is the sovereign. He rules over all. He is on the throne. He is reigning even while this pandemic is causing so much heartache. He is sovereign over COVID-19. That's one response to that question, why? God is sovereign. And we may not understand all of the inner workings of his will and his purpose, but he's in control. He's in charge. He's on the throne. And we trust him. The second answer is actually an answer or response to the question why is is one given by Jesus in Luke chapter 13. In Luke 13, there is a description of a tower in the town of Siloam that fell and killed 18 people. And many were questioning 
why? And the conclusion was they were killed because they were sinful. They had committed personal sin, and that is why they suffered judgment. As Jesus is interacting with this very common understanding of why tragedy happens to individuals, he clearly denies that these people died because of personal sin. In fact, Jesus asserted that they were no more sinful than you who are asking the why question. They are no more sinful than you who say, well, they must have died because they had personally sinned. Jesus' point, we all have a sin problem. We all deserve the tower to fall on us. Really, if you think about it, the, the right question for them to have asked is, why did it fall on them and not me? But the way Jesus handles this situation is helpful to me and hopefully to you in trying to grapple with the why of this pandemic. And I take from Jesus' words in Luke chapter 13 that the purpose of tragedy is to serve as a warning that everyone will face final judgment. You know, so many people look at signs. I've even heard people talk about the sign of this pandemic maybe being the sign of the imminent return of Christ. The Bible says well, we will not know. No one can know the time. And I think it's unhelpful to try and say that this sign is an indication of Jesus' immediate return. In fact, every generation of mankind have had these signs because every generation needs to be warned about facing final judgment. And every generation needs to be called to consider their eternal destiny. And that's exactly what Jesus was doing here in Luke chapter 13. Tragedies like this pandemic should, dry, should first remind us of our own mortality, remind us that we will face final judgment, and should drive us to Jesus in repentance and faith. For he has won the victory over sin, Satan, and death. And he is reigning today over all. Let us all turn to him in faith and hope and live in the king's victory. When we live in his victory, we find not only that he subdues us and he sets up his reign in our hearts, we also find that he defends us. COVID-19 will not destroy the church, and COVID-19 will not separate the believer from the Lord. He defends his church corporately. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And he defends his people individually. Romans 8, 37 through 39. Knowing all things. Now think about this. 
in the midst of this pandemic with all of our concerns and fear, maybe some even grieving the loss of a loved one. No, in all these things, in every situation, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. For those of us who place our faith in Christ, we live in His infinite, eternal, glorious victory today. In light of the current pandemic and the uncertainty, the fear for our health, our jobs, our finances, as we go through all these drastic measures that have been taken, as we face the reality of sickness and death, how should we live in light of the victory that Jesus has secured for us and in light of this present situation, these dark days? Paul actually answers my question in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the very last verse, verse 58, where he says this, Therefore, my beloved brothers, now remember, He's already taught about the resurrection. He's already shown us that Jesus' bodily resurrection is the basis for our own bodily resurrection in the future. That Christ has been victorious and we participate in the victory of Christ through him and through his work. So then Paul says, therefore, my beloved brothers, verse 58, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. That's how we should be living today. Living as we live before the pandemic. Living as we will live after the pandemic. Living as Christ's disciples, living as citizens, not of the United States of America, though we are grateful for our national citizenship, but even more living as the citizens of heaven, the eternal kingdom. We keep on believing and trusting Jesus in these dark days. We keep on bearing our cross and following Jesus as his disciples in these dark days. We keep on trusting Him for grace to persevere in these dark days. We keep on worshiping Him as our risen Savior, as our prophet, as our glorious, exalted King who rules over all. We keep on serving Him. We keep on loving one another and loving our neighbor, and this pandemic has afforded God's people many opportunities to love our neighbor. We keep on reading and studying God's word in these dark days and praying in these dark days. We keep on living as members as his kingdom. We keep on living for his glory 
and we keep on enjoying Him forever. That's how we live. We live as citizens of His kingdom. We live faithfully, with integrity, as Christ's disciples. We're inspired by a sign of hope. Hope for victory, represented by a flattened curve. But those who trust in Jesus already live in the realities of victory. And it's not a flattened curve. The sign is an empty tomb. We live in the victory of the empty tomb. He is risen. We live in the victory of the empty tomb and the ascension. Mission accomplished. We live in the victory of the empty tomb, ascension, and enthronement. Christ is Lord. The V for victory gave hope to Britons in their dark days. The flattened curve is a symbol of hope for you and me in our day of difficulty. But all the more, may the sign of the empty tomb give us hope of the victory that we have through Christ, a victory that is eternal. May God bless you. Let us pray. God, our Father, we thank you for the victory that we have through Christ Jesus. We ask you, O oh God, to remind us that the resurrection is central to faith, and the resurrection means that we can be assured that one day, that final day, that we will, our bodies will be raised from the grave. Remind us of Jesus' word, even though you die, yet shall you live. That's the reality in which we enjoy this day. Father, show us the assurance in the ascension, mission accomplished. Remind us of our King who subdues us and who defends us and who is reigning supremely today. Father, call us to well up in hope, a hope and a victory that is already ours through Christ Jesus our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.